Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the AccuWeather Podcast. I'm joined in the studio by Ken Prell and Andy Robb. And you know what? I, I am so lucky I have, like, the best producer ever because I mentioned Ken is just grinning. Did we hire somebody else? <laughs> oh, thank no, you. No, no. no, Andy. So here's what happened. I mentioned the topic, and Andy found me this little ditty. October 1871, that's when this great big fire began. Yeah, what is this? Well, listen. O'Leary's cow was the one to blame. So you can turn it down now, Andy. Because <laughs> yes. it'll be stuck in my head now forever. Yeah. But I've never you, heard that before in my life. Yeah, so I heard this song before because I mentioned it to uh, COO Evan Myers is sitting down with me today. Mm-hmm. And so our topic of discussion for today is going to be the Chicago Fire of 1871. And so the the rumor, or I don't know if it was a rumor, I guess it's just what Legend or... Legends, or, yes, yeah. was that O'Leary's cow started the fire. Mrs. O'Leary had a dairy farm, oh. or, a, or a farm so, and a cow apparently knocked over a lantern in a barn. But started is the that Chicago true? Fire. Is that mm-hmm. true? Well, we're going to find out, but we got that little ditty uh, now that will be stuck in our head all day long. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> Andy's great. <laughs> Came from his own personal collection. <laughs> so, <laughs> he listens to that when he's at home, just hanging out. Would you, would you like, to, would you like to hear it again? Oh, please, <laughs> no, no. turn it off. Oh, okay, okay, so, okay, fine. Right. Oh, so stay with us. Stay with us. From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's the AccuWeather Podcast. Here's your host, Regina Miller. Well, we are joined back in the studio by Evan Myers. And today, Evan, we brought you in to talk about the Chicago Fire of 1871. So thanks for sitting down with me today. Trivial Pursuit champion, Evan Myers. I know. Well, you know what? That's a future podcast. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about that in a couple minutes because I want to have him come in and do a a weather trivial pursuit. Like, you know. This is uh, is all trash talking before I can even... Before I can even get to say anything, uh, but before we came on here, we were talking about, and I don't know what this has to do with the Great Chicago Fire or other great fires. It doesn't that really matter. It's our across podcast. the United States. I made the statement that before we came on that I have never lost a game of Trivial Pursuit when it wasn't teams. So teams, kind of like the team dragged me down. You but, yep. but it's individuals. I've never. Uh, so that is really a gauntlet. <laughs> that has uh, maybe that I threw down, but that's for another time. Absolutely, because, a future episode. Um, that's that's funny, but the Sh- Great Chicago Fire and other related fires are are really deadly serious. I know they are deadly serious. In fact, here's another little piece of uh, information I'm going to kind of throw out there: is that the Chicago Fire wasn't even the biggest fire that we ever dealt with. It but- wasn't even the biggest fire. This at the same time the Chicago Fire was going on, believe <laughs> right, it or not. Right. Well, let's start with the Chicago Fire, Evan. Yes. First, talk about the fire. Like, when it occurred, how long it lasted, what it did to the city. So it started on October 8th of 1871, so 
six years after the end of the Civil War. It's interesting because a famous Civil War general actually took command of uh, the city during the height of the fire to help fight it. But it's kind of interesting because the population of uh, Chicago in the census of 1870, just the year before, was about 300,000. And Chicago had grown exponentially. In 1850, the population was 30,000. So uh, just uh, 20 years before, it was uh, so much less. And then 1860, up to 100,000. And by 1870, 300,000. So Chicago was uh, probably the most rapidly growing city in the United States. And uh, the technology that allowed that to happen is one of the reasons why the fire was so bad, so extensive. It's kind of interesting when we've talked about some of these natural disasters Mm -hmm. over time on on these podcasts, it's almost like the technology of the time uh, ran ahead of the ability to understand how the technology caused other issues. The pursuit of technology and the pursuit of money, Mm -hmm. actually without uh, some breaks and some understanding about the impact, led to some not good things. And we'll see that when we talk, as we talk more about the Great Chicago Fire. How did it start? <laughs> because there's well, some, uh, I heard a song, like there used to be a song, something about Bessie the Cow or something like that. And so, you know, there's always, there's this folklore that uh, Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocked, uh, knocked over a lantern and uh, caused the fire. But it's interesting, there is no evidence no credible evidence that that actually occurred. And the most credible evidence is that uh, as time went on, especially in the 1880s and the 1890s, as waves of immigrants came into the United States, mm-hmm. that that was perpetrated as, a, as an actual anti-Irish, anti-Catholic bias to say that, oh, uh, it was immigrants, oh, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was Catholics, or it was Irish that caused the fire to occur. Uh, but there's no evidence that that actually, even though it's it's been perpetuated in folklore, that there's no evidence that that actually occurred. And that actually what happened was it seems like uh, with the attack on, on folks coming in, the other people. Like immigrants. Immigrants. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's where that actually has its origins. Let's talk about the weather that contributed or was going on maybe leading up to the fire. In the previous three months leading up to that time, from uh, so that would have been September, August, from the beginning of July, before from just before July fourth, uh, eighteen seventy one, up to this point, one inch of rain fell in Chicago and northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, in that whole area, only one inch of rain wow. in three months. Now, the average rainfall in a year uh, in that area is a is about thirty six inches of rain, thirty. 37 inches of rain. So in in if you think about it, in a quarter of the year, only one inch fell. Uh, it was extremely, it was bone dry, extremely dry. Things had dried out uh, tremendously, but most of the structures were made out of wood. So not only was it very dry, was all the, the grass and the shrubbery and the trees and everything else in a, in a dry state, all the building materials were also dry. They weren't wetted down by uh, by, any by, by any rain or anything like right. that. And there were constant winds blowing out of the southwest, out of the west, off the prairie that helped dry things out even more, helped evaporate uh, what was going So the soil moisture content was extremely low. All the wood was dried out. 
all the shrub. It, it was a tinderbox. Yeah. It was ready for something to happen, whether it was a cow that knocked it over or somebody who threw a it cigarette could have been any butt spark. or yeah. anything. Right. Um, it was uh, it was interesting. In fact, there were a lot of fires, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, for a while, people thought that uh, maybe uh, meteorites caused uh, the fire. I had heard that because there were it was so extensive. Oh, the fires were so extensive, but no, there was no evidence of okay. that. It was the weather. It was building techniques that caused the fire to explode into a firestorm in Chicago and other places. Now, just just quickly, because normally for Chicago, would they sometimes, it would be golf moisture that would help contribute to some of the rain that would come. Would they get moisture up from they the Gulf? they get moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico. Or, or also frontal systems coming out of uh, cold fronts coming out of either Pacific or out of Canada. Uh, okay. But obviously, none of that happened. It was exceptionally dry and exceptionally hot. So reconstructing what was going on back then, uh, there would have been a very large high-pressure area that held from the surface into the upper atmosphere more or less for three months, uh, probably sitting right over the mid-Mississippi Valley, blocking any moisture coming Um. up from the Gulf, blocking any frontal systems coming in from the west. But that high-pressure area was probably settled a little bit to the south of Chicago, so that helped bring a westerly dry wind in off the Rockies. As the air descends off the Rockies, it also dries out. And warms up. And warms up and caused that dry wind, that that whole dryness to occur. Well, let's get into uh, what you were saying about, because every time we've done one of these uh, natural disasters, there's always been some kind of human uh, element that's contributed. So let's kind of talk about that. Well, it's interesting because um, because of rapid industrialization, because of uh, the rapid expansion of the railroads, um, it wasn't necessary any longer to use indigenous wood to uh, build any kind of uh, any kind of city structure. Mm-hmm. And so there was, uh, with all the railroads coming in, there was a, a lot of wood that was brought into Chicago, and Chicago became a focal point because of its location. And it, there was kind of, uh, they started to build a rivalry with New York City. You can see we talked about 30,000 people living in Chicago in 1850, 20 years later, 300,000 people. And so they, they had to do something, and so in order to get all those people there and places for them to live and, and work, that corresponded with a new, a new logging technique and a new building technique uh, using extremely long boards. Mm-hmm. So um, up until about 1850, there was no standardized sizes that were used, but starting around the time of the Civil War, we got uh, two-by-fours, four-by-fours, and instead of uh, the kind of two by four you might see today, which is eight feet in length, mm-hmm. we had we still had a lot of virgin forests, long, big trees. So they would make two by fours that might be twenty feet long, just one continuous board. So what they were able to do was wow, uh, to, you would think it, that would bow. <laughs> well, well, they, what they were able to do is to build the uh, build structures much faster because you didn't have to worry about. You know, one uh, eight foot length, and then uh, building one story, and then building another eight, eight foot length, and and putting another story in there for for houses. You were able to to uh, just put one long board, and so this was called balloon structure because basically it blew up like a balloon. You could do it so quickly, right? But because of that, there were no uh, natural fire breaks in, in any structure. Uh, e- even you think of a of a house on fire that if it's all wood, it burns rapidly, but Having cross uh, cross beams uh, cross stuff. beams will prevent fire. All these things are prov- are fire breaks. Even though they'll catch on fire, they'll kind of act as a fire break. A floor in which all the these beams are are nailed into are something that would also 
uh, be a firebreak. But none of those things existed. And they didn't exist because of the advent of industrialization, the uh, advent to allow to build these um, beams so long with these long trees, and also because it, w- it enabled things to be built so much faster. You mm-hmm. could build a structure with a, a 20 or 30 foot long a two by four much faster than you could using eight or ten foot long two by four. So that was one of the reasons why Chicago grew so rapidly. Mm-hmm. So you had all these structures that were built with no natural fire breaks in them at all, even if they were wood houses. On top of that, especially in the downtown area of Chicago, around the Loop and so on, it wasn't called the Loop then yet, but <laughs> in, the, in the downtown area, there were a lot of uh, advertising billboards on top of roofs. So you had these huge wooden billboards mm-hmm. that were very uh, thin. They were available to burn. And the, take it up high, like well, so took, high in the atmosphere. Up, exactly, yeah, and, right. allow, and allow some of these embers to, to flow around. So the building... Uh, structure, the building techniques that were used, it was a perfect storm to allow uh, this fire, the fire in any structure to burn rapidly. And this balloon construction often would lead to, if if there was a a, a house fire, even in a few minutes by the time that the fire department arrived, the house would be gone. It burned that fast. So things burned so fast that the um, fire departments, not only in Chicago, but other places that use these building techniques, it was virtually impossible for them to put out the fire uh, be- to save any structure. And on top of that, all the sidewalks were made out of wood. Are as, you serious? As, a, as opposed wow. to some of the older cities like Philadelphia or Baltimore or New York at the time where the sidewalks were brick or concrete. Even the streets, in order to, to make sure they weren't muddy, were used, cross timbers were used. So the streets were made out oh, of wood. Wow. So the sidewalks were made out of wood. The streets were made out of wood. This was not what happened in other uh, slower, uh, evolving, older cities. Mm-hmm. So Chicago and a lot of cities in the Midwest were just ready for some horrible thing to happen. Well, and it's and the it windy did. city. It's the and windy it, city. So um, talk about then, uh, Evan, once it started, how long it burned and, and how it kind of evolved. Well, well, it burned for about two and a half or three days. Uh, the mm-hmm. fire departments were incapable of, of putting them out because of the things I just talked about. And uh, the wind uh, spread the fire from the south side across the Chicago River uh, into the north side where I guess the, the Golden Mile is and all those now, today, into all those areas. It just moved so very, across the river, yeah. very, very, very rapidly, uh, the wind pushing it. And then it created its own weather. Mm-hmm. So if you have looked at uh, AccuWeather.com or, or any other uh, website or watched the news uh, on what's happening in California, and you've seen uh, some of the pictures or some of the video of... Uh, Firestorms of um, fire fire nados occurring. Yeah. That's what happened in Chicago. The same very thing, but on a bigger scale. What happened in Chicago was a bigger scale than some of the fires you're seeing today. So it caused act- an actual firestorm. It created its own weather, and it's estimated that winds were sustained as high as 110 miles an hour. Wow! So it was it, w- it literally was a firestorm. It incinerated buildings, people everything in its path and moved very rapidly and really just burned itself out it was it was un, they were unable to put it out now general phil sheridan from civil war fame uh, was actually put in charge in the middle of the fire uh, in chicago of uh, trying to help mm-hmm. and he caused some fire breaks to occur he 
took a few blocks and, and destroyed all Just the buildings. Destroy so, him, yeah. But but even that didn't help very much. So in some ways he was credited with helping to stop the fire, but really when you look back in, in history, that really didn't work either. Uh, luckily, uh, only 300 people died because mm -hmm. a lot of people were able to flee, get out of the way, either move west out of the city or actually move into the lake. And there were oh, thousands okay. of people that were just in the lake, mm -hmm. a few feet and whatever with the water, they were able to protect themselves or get out in the water a little bit more than um, they might otherwise. But there were other cities in the Midwest that weren't as lucky. There was no place to run, no place to hide, and it happened so rapidly that during this, this same time period, more people died in other fires in the Midwest than died in Chicago, even though Chicago is the most famous because mm -hmm. there well, were, that was, it was a big city. 300,000 people was one of the biggest cities in the U.S. at the time. So uh, Mother Nature giveth and she taketh away because it, it end, ended up they got some rain that helped. Th they did get some rain. There was, there was a frontal system, that uh, a cold front that moved through that helped with some rain, but it also caused the wind to, oh, pick, to, up. to pick up. And so it re there really wasn't... That didn't really end the fire either. What yeah. ended the fire is it ran out of fuel. Well, let's talk about the actual biggest fire, right, in uh, U.S. history. Well, the most deadly, yes. The most deadly occurred at the exact same time, and we haven't heard much about that. Can you talk about that one? Yeah, yeah the Peshtigo Fire, which is uh, up uh, on the western shore of Green Bay, just north of Green Bay, Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, occurred on October the uh, the 8th. Uh, the same day the Chicago fire started. This lasted about a day, and at least 1,500 people died. The entire town was wiped out in a firestorm that was probably more intense than uh, what Chicago had. And Peshtigo is not on the water, so there there's a small river that runs through it, but it was the people were not people able to, 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 to escape. Mm -hmm. And it occurred so fast. The whole town burned down in one day. There was no help. Uh, there, and there was no place to, to escape. And that is the greatest fire disaster in U.S. history. And that uh, would have been the same probably contributing weather absolutely, factors Absolutely. In fact, there were fires all over the upper Midwest uh, during the be beginning of October. Uh, there were several other uh, major fires that occurred in which hundreds of people died uh, the same time the Chicago fire was going on. So that's another reason why there wasn't a lot of help that was able to be uh, given at the time that this was going on. There was a lot of focus on Chicago, but there were disasters going on everywhere. Literally else. putting out fires all over the place. They were, and they right. couldn't put them out. They just had to either had to get out of the way, mm -hmm. or you, if you didn't, you died. Right. Now, uh, Andy, you were mentioning, because uh, this day in history, as the podcast drops, you were mentioning... Uh, another fire that caused a weird smoke, right? Yeah, the Great Thumb Fire caused something called Yellow Day, where, where the skies were had a yellowish appearance to them. So it's interesting. The Great Thumb Fire, which occurred in the Thumb of Michigan, 10 years later, 1881, you know, it's kind of like, do we learn from history? You know, there's <laughs> right. That, we, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, hard-headed as, yeah, uh, you know, as human that, beings. You know, if you, those who don't learn from history are are doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, it was repeated. It was called the Great Forest Fire of 1881 or the Great Thumb Fire or the Huron Fire. Uh, and it burned in that part of Michigan mainly on September 5th of 1881. And uh, to similar impact, uh, but not as many people died, but it burned towns down and the prevailing winds at that time brought that smoke all the way to the east and uh, into the higher part of the atmosphere. 
And because of that, within a couple of days, places uh, to the east, Boston, for example, mm -hmm. New York, uh, it was called Yellow Day because the, the sky looked yellow because of the refraction of the sun's rays through the ash and uh, all the debris and the smoke that was put into the middle and higher atmosphere. And so uh, that occurred a few days later. And it really, people said they had to burn candles. <laughs> no more fires, but they <laughs> burned candles during the middle of the day in places like Boston because it was so dark because it blocked out so much of the sun. So, uh, and, and that's not unusual to see that kind of sky condition. Uh, when uh, Tambora, the volcano, exploded mm -hmm. in the what is now Indonesia, and it threw a cubic mile of dust into the high atmosphere for several years, uh, starting about a year or two later, uh, sunsets looked yellow and reddish and so on because there was so much debris mm -hmm. in the high atmosphere from that uh, volcanic eruption, again, refracting the sun's, the sun's rays. But uh, this... This smoke, this ash didn't go quite as high as that because mm -hmm. it didn't have the force. But the yellow sky was probably helped and washed out by rain because it wasn't as high in the atmosphere. You're able to oh, wash so it out. hung low. You're able to wash that stuff out of the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But from volcanic eruptions, because of the force of spewing it high into the atmosphere and the uh, the force of those uh, some of those eruptions, the weather really doesn't have that much impact on it. It has to kind of settle out over over years. Right, and refraction's kind of like a, it's kind of like a prism. So if you have the sun's light and then the, depending upon the way it's bent as it hits the different exactly. particles. Exactly, and the higher comes. you throw up uh, stuff into the atmosphere, the more impact it has on climate. That's a whole other discussion. The, uh, the, the, <laughs> That's our next podcast. <laughs> after the uh, Trivial Pursuit one, right, Ken? <laughs> Absolutely, writing after, it down right now. After the Tambora volcanic eruption and so much was thrown into the high atmosphere that it actually did uh, have an impact on and it cooled the climate. That's when there were, there were crop failures in, in New England. That's when Horace Greeley said, go west, young man, because New England, you couldn't grow crops. It was it was pretty terrible. So yes, that is something we should talk about I think in the so. future. And it's interesting because there's been a distinct lack of major volcanic eruption like we had previously in the last 100 or 150 years. And some climate scientists believe that that is one of the reasons why the earth is heating up as fast as it is because we don't have all that debris in the high atmosphere to block the sun's ultraviolet rays. So, but that's for another time. Oh, yeah. That's because a tease that's for a another tease. Absolutely. I was going to say, we're going to stop you. I have to stop you because you're going to give us the whole story now. So, so there's all, everything, everything's connected. Yep. You know, it's, yes. it's not just that the hip bone's connected to the knee bone. The weather yeah. is also. Yes. And, and, and these things are all connected. Yes. Well, thanks so much, Evan. Very interesting discussion. And we're going to hold you to both of those podcasts. We want to do the, Absolutely. Uh, we're uh, going to do the Trivial Pursuit one and because it's a challenge. The gauntlet uh, has it been It sounds thrown. like I should just stay in the seat. <laughs> yes, we'll just, you may as well. Yeah, we'll just do a podcast every day. Yeah, yes. this could be your so, new office. Yeah, right, yeah. That's, yeah, that, so. that, that, that's true. Uh, thanks, Evan. Absolutely. Always great to have Evan on. Yeah, I can't wait to see uh, you go against him in uh, weather trivia. It's not. I, I am not going up against <laughs> Evan Myers on weather trivia. I'm going to drag down some of the forecasters upstairs uh, that are going to go up against him. Do you think anybody's actually going to want to go up against him? No. <laughs> That's, no wonder he always wins. <laughs> so, but anyway, we also want to, uh, we're going to be talking to Dan Kudlowski coming up because we want to get an update on the tropics. So that's going to be our next segment here. You'll want to stay tuned for that because the Atlantic has gotten pretty active all of a sudden. Yeah, with Gordon and uh, some other potential things.
things that Florence could affect the and, area. Right, right. So we're going to take a look at that. And we also want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast. We actually have a really uh, good episode that we just did yeah, that the is very sports, appropriate. The Weather and Sports episode, which we did just a few weeks ago, episode 17, I think. Yes. Um, we talked about, we talked with Dean DeVore, the voice of Penn State uh, football, Beaver Stadium, about how you would have to evacuate a stadium. Well, in Lincoln, Nebraska, they had to do that over the weekend because of weather, severe weather that was coming through. Ended up having to cancel the Nebraska game wow. and evacuate the entire stadium. So, right, and uh, Andy said there was some pretty amazing pictures of yeah. that. Yeah, there's a great photo uh, of some lightning striking just within proximity of the stadium. A great shot that they got. So be sure to check out episode 17 of the podcast, Weather in Sports. You can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, or just go to AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Well, the hurricane season all of a sudden seemed to be picking up, so I, I brought Dan Kudlowski in, our hurricane expert here at AccuWeather. So thanks for uh, taking a few minutes away from the desk here, uh, Dan. All of a sudden, getting very busy. It's been very busy for me. Actually, uh, since I also cover the Pacific, it's been very busy. Uh, you know, lane hitting, oh, right. uh, having Im- impacts on Hawaii, and then all of a sudden, we were done with the lane. All of a sudden, we were looking at stuff really going to town across the Atlantic. So Gordon now is uh, starting to move off into the midsection of the country. What's mm-hmm. what are our concerns with the moisture from Gordon going forth? Again, it's just going it's going to be heavy rain is going to be the big big issue. The remnant uh, low that's going to be left over uh, should be like over southwest Missouri by Saturday, and then we'll be moving up toward uh, Illinois, Indiana area during the upcoming the rest of the upcoming weekend. So all it's going to do is help to produce a lot of rainfall. We have a frontal system that's going to be approaching from the west and northwest, and so the interaction of that front and Gordon and its moisture potentially could bring some substantial rainfall across this area. So some of these areas have had some really heavy rainfall over the last several weeks. So putting that on top of that, there's no doubt going to be uh, some major flooding issues from portions of uh, Illinois, India, perhaps into Ohio then. Now, also, I wanted to ask you about uh, other spots. I, I had mentioned it was a quieter season in the Atlantic, you know, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's picking up now. So what we've got Florence and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've another? got Florence, and we've got another feature that's uh, near the Cabo Verde Islands that probably will become uh, Helene uh, within the next uh, day or two. So, first of all, Florence, again, is out in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh, no threat to land all the way through this upcoming weekend. So, again, we're telling people if you live in Bermuda um, that you should probably at least uh, take note of this storm. Keep a, keep a little a watchful eye on it because it looks like it, it, it may be heading toward Bermuda uh, during early next week. The closest uh, approach to Bermuda will be sometime around Tuesday of next week, and that closest approach could be right over. Uh, so, But I'd say that people in interest, uh, visitors and so forth, should certainly be uh, aware of the fact that there could certainly be a hurricane heading their way. You know, And then, of course, beyond that point, uh, some computer information is still suggesting that, that Florence could uh, try to take a stab at the United States. But I think as you get into next week, uh, we're reaching at the, what we call the barrier, uh, the, the forecast barrier of the, of, the, of the model output a lot of times. Okay. Uh, the models tend to waffle on, on the long range, so I'd be very careful on, on what we see or hear about uh, in the modeling. Try, uh, not to, try not to get too, too excited too far too out excited. because I noticed that they're both kind of extreme. One's taking it off to the North, east and yeah. out. To yeah, a lot of them have shifted uh, so that uh, a lot of the majority of the models are now taking it more westerly, so it's more 
more problematic for the United States. But this is the reason why we tell people living along the coast to have a hurricane plan right. in place. Uh, this is the reason why you have that in place, because all it, all it takes is one storm in a given year. doesn't matter how active it is. And if that storm hits toward your neighborhood or toward your coast, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna be devastated, you know. So right. let's take a look at this, and of course, AccuWeather.com will have all kinds of information on this. We'll have stories up and running, and we'll update those stories throughout the rest of this week and to the upcoming weekend, so that people understand how they can prepare for the upcoming storm. Then, if possible, right. And the other thing, Dan, I wanted to ask you just real quick is it was so quiet in the Atlantic the first half of the season. So do you see reason to believe that we're going to see more frequency now? For well, the late part. Well, I, th- I think late August and September are when we have everything coming together. We have very warm water. Uh, the shear tends to drop off. Shear is, is, is not constant. Shear is like wisps. It's like wind gusts. Yeah. So you'll get these strong bursts of wind. They'll die down. And what happens during September is the shear tends to drop off more frequently, and therefore opportunity is there for tropical development much easier. Now, as we get toward the end of the month in October, it goes the other way. The shear starts to increase, especially since we're trending toward an El Nino pattern. uh, That should be the case. That doesn't mean we're going to get rid of the potential altogether, but uh, over the next few weeks here, I'd say at least through the month of September, again, don't let your guard down because, again, there's a lot of activity that could be coming our way, and certainly the computer models are showing at least two more storms that could form in the Far East Atlantic, and one of those could become Helene, uh, is actually projected to move into the Caribbean next week. Now, I'm not saying that's that's the correct answer, that's the correct right, forecast, but, that's kind of what it's but it's very disconcerting at. to see that kind of kind of a pattern because we saw that with Irma. I'm not suggesting it's going to be like another Irma, but certainly when you bring a storm westward during September across very warm water, and again, the water temperatures are cool, but as you get to the Caribbean, they're pretty warm. And if, if it hits a pocket of low shear, boom, we've got ourselves a very, very strong storm. Mm, good to know. Uh, thanks so much, Dan. And don't forget, you can stay on top of all of these tropical conditions by downloading the AccuWeather app today. Next up, we have Elliot Abrams, who has a historical look back at this week in weather. In the weather forecasting business, it's interesting to look back at the past and wonder whether it indicates what's going to happen in the future. Well, that's a difficult prospect because they aren't really correlated that well. 1953, heat was rampant across the eastern part of the country, just as it has been recently, with afternoon temperatures going to the 90s and past 100. And 1954 was similar, afternoon temperatures breaking records. What did that say about the coming winter? Well, nothing necessarily, but it's interesting to see what some of the things have been. For example, in 1953, there was a large snowstorm in the mid-Atlantic states in early November, even though early September had been hot. In 1954, it had been hot in early September, and then in October, a massive hurricane, Hazel, came ashore in Myrtle Beach. It moved northward through Pennsylvania, ripping down hundreds of thousands of trees, was the only hurricane that actually caused a hurricane fatality in Canada, moved all the way across eastern part of Lake Erie and western Lake Ontario and destroyed some planes, but it also unfortunately killed some people. So what does that mean about the future? Well, it doesn't really mean that much of anything, but we do know what's on the map today, and that's the remains of Gordon. Some of that moisture will head into the Ohio Valley and then the northeast as we go through the weekend, along with cooler air coming down from eastern Canada. Then we have Florence roaming the central Atlantic, And some of the computer models are now suggesting it comes all the way to the East Coast at some point late next week. 
Will it do that or will it change to some different direction? That's what we'll be talking about on AccuWeather.com during the next several days. But the main thing for this week, the heat will be replaced by cooler air coming into the northeast during the last few days of the week. And then it'll dry out temporarily from north to south. And then some rain will spread across the Ohio Valley and then into the mid-Atlantic region at the end of the weekend and early next week. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Elliot Abrams. Thanks so much, Elliot, and thanks to our guests. Now, next week, we do have Dave Dom back in the studio. Yeah, because we are going to be talking about fog. Right. Well, there's more than one kind. I bet you didn't know that. There's several kinds of fog, and there's also several different scientific causes. So we'll be talking about that. Tune in. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast, giving you the stories behind the weather, discussions on trending weather topics, and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 